Hello and welcome to the show up dad. This is a podcast for hardworking fathers looking to level up their fathering skills and be more than just a paycheck or provider for the home. On today's episode, we welcome Brandon Veronese, a former street gang member, a dirty white boy affiliate and an incarcerated father. Brandon know, now Brandon now lives his life on fire for the Lord, which he accredits his transformation from a three-time felon a former resident of Cook County Correctional Facility, to a loving husband, a father of three, and owning his own construction company called New Creation Construction. I'm stoked to have you on here today, brother. Thanks for coming out for today's episode. I want to kick things off today by you giving our listeners a little background of your story, if you don't mind, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And thanks for having me on here, man. I really, I really appreciate it um, to glorify God and, and to share with others what God has done in my life. Uh, well, I come from brokenness. Uh, I was born to teenage parents, uh, abusive father, low income, divorce. Uh, my dad did drugs and he drank. Uh, I was born in East Chicago, Indiana, lived all over Lake County, Indiana, Hammond, Gary, East Chicago, Highland. But I went to school uh, in Griffith, Indiana, which is right next to uh, Gary, Indiana. Um, I also lived on the southeast uh, side of Chicago for a while for some years. As a kid, I played sports. Uh, I was an outside kid, always leaving the house, riding bikes, fighting with the neighborhood kids. Um, I was raised uh, somewhat by my grandparents, but they left when I was 10 years old to go to Florida. Uh, my mom found uh, a new man named Frank, whom I had problems with. As I grew older, I became really good at basketball and football. I started claiming a gang at like 13 years old because gangs are heavy out in this area. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't truly become a gang member until about 15 years old, which means like learning the, the, the codes, laws, they call it literature. Mm -hmm. um, I indulged in drugs like weed and drinking ecstasy and stuff like this when I was young. I, I was a womanizer. Uh, I somewhat kept things under control, though, because of my love for sports. I became mm -hmm. uh, a great linebacker in the, in, in the state, um, and, but I broke my leg and was introduced to Vicodin my junior year. I came back though my senior year and uh, and was able to play. But this my senior year is where I began um, in the justice system. So the so-called justice system. Um, I I caught a, a attempt murder at 17 years old. Um, the summer year going into my senior year. So that summer. Wow. And wow. Um, I went on the run. I ended up turn, turning my uh, self in about a week later. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was able to get out my mother. Um, I, I come from, you know, a single mother, um, just, the, the, just my mother and my dad got divorced at 10 years old. So, mm -hmm. so my mom raised me besides my stepdad when he stepped in, but, but she bonded me out, got me a lawyer. Um, and I started fighting that case, but I was able to, I was able to play football my mm -hmm. senior year. Um, because as 17 years old, you, you don't, it's, it's not in papers. So like, um, it's, it's confidential information. So my coach told me to lie about it. And so I lied about it. And, um, and I was able to play my senior year. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up playing my senior year, breaking five uh, records in the state of Indiana, um, became all state safety. We were supposed to win state that year. And we ended up losing at semi-state. We were undefeated until semi-state. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and after that happened, it broke my heart. Uh, I, it, it truly, I, I started taking a dime downward uh, spiral. Yeah, after that, um, I went back to my old ways. I started uh, uh, drinking again, gang banging, and then from that, so from at my senior year on until about two years ago, I uh, I was constantly in the system. Um, from 18 years old until 29 years old, I fought everything from attempt murders, question for shooting, stabbings, drug cases, fraud, to reckless driving. I became a heroin IV user and overdosed like seven times. I've been arrested 33 times and spent my whole adult life uh, dealing with the so-called justice system. I've spent close to five years incarcerated from jails, institutions, halfway houses, and rehabs. I had my first child, Isaiah, at 19. I didn't find out he was mine until a year later because of my ways. I took a DNA test. Uh, and found out he was mine, then started dating uh, the mother of my children. We had our second son, Noah. Uh, because of my ways, she began to use drugs and engage in criminal activity. Mm -hmm. We had our third child, Mila, whom I barely seen for the first year of her life because of warrants and her mother being in a halfway house. Um, she was downtown Chicago. Because of the life I lived, I, I missed countless birthdays, Father's Days, and my children ended up with their grandparents. At age 25, while I was incarcerated, I picked up a Bible. I prayed a simple prayer because I couldn't understand anything I was reading. I asked God for understanding. He answered, and I started barely understanding small bits. I knew nothing of Christ then. Mm -hmm. I remember yelling at Satan a lot, but I didn't know much about Christ. Weeping about my children, feeling so much shame and guilt um, while I would be incarcerated throughout these years. I was just consumed with shame, consumed in condemnation. Um, and I dealt with sleep paralysis for some years. I don't know if any you guys know what that is, but it's a state of paralysis. So it's, it's demonic torment. Oh, wow. And, um, and, and I researched how to get help for it. And I, and, and I found Jesus's name. So I got back to Jesus this way, dealing with sleep paralysis. I came back to Jesus just mentioning and thinking his name and it would, it would stop. Mm -hmm. um, I, I ended up, uh, although deacons, I was locked up two years ago mm -hmm. and um, a, a little over two and a half, two and a half years ago, actually. And I started reading the Bible again. So I got baptized five years ago, uh -huh. but I, I didn't know nothing about Jesus Christ or how to do this walk. Right. I didn't have men around me showing me the right way and and reading scripture or, and doing uh, certain things in the body of Christ. And mm -hmm. I and I backslid. I didn't know. I didn't know how to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jesus met me in that cell and, uh, and I started transforming mm -hmm. while I was in Cook County, this last bid that I did. And um, when I came home on Halloween, 2018, I moved back with my mom. My kids started reading the Bible. I started reading the Bible every night, praying every night. I had one small mistake where I let my children down because a woman I refu that refused to uh, serve Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, and my children now can recite the whole, our father prayer. It's amazing. Um, and my mom and aunt have been baptized. I I've implemented Christ's meekness and also his boldness in their lives. Seven months ago, God blessed me with this construction company wow. called new creation construction and on fire ministries. And, uh, he he's done amazing things. He's, he's brought a woman into my life named, uh, Megan, who's amazing. 
um, and added another child in my life named Elijah, who's a miracle child. He was diagnosed with a, a terminally ill uh, disease, but God had different plans for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Lord has just truly transformed me as a yeah. man um, since I allowed him into my life. So wow. it's amazing. <laughs> man, Brandon, that's so awesome to hear, bro. Just to see the transformation that you went through and uh, just through the struggles. I mean, I know looking and just hearing your story, so many men like that. I mean, there's so many men out there that could have just had the same card you were dealt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's amazing that you had to go through all those struggles in order to get to where you're at now. Everybody wants to go from A to C, but no one wants to go. They, they want to skip B, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear your story, how you evolved and how you didn't allow this to cause you to be a victim. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people in the system that will sit there and be like, oh, woe is me. This I didn't have this card. You know, I didn't I didn't have a father. I didn't have this, you know, and you're able to raise up. And yes. and, and that's awesome. That's awesome to see. You know, you, you're going to bring a lot of hope to a lot of people out there. And I just yes. want to just thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to transition into this topic right now, and it's called the forgotten parent you know? Yes. Yes. And it's, it's, it's incarcerated. It's all about incarcerated fathers. Okay. Now we know that incarcerated fathers are up against incredible challenges on their journey to restoration, right? Yeah. I read that 92% of parents in prison are fathers and between 1991 and 2007, the number of children with incarcerated fathers grew 79%. Wow. Okay. So that roughly leads to nearly one in 28 American children, most of them under the age of 10, having a parent in prison right now. That's that. Those numbers are astounding. Astounding. Yeah. Okay. So for those that don't know how big of a problem we are having with fathers being incarcerated, can you shed some light on how big this actually is, Brandon? Well, yeah. Um, I'm a perfect example of how this really tears down families and children. Um, You know, a lot of these systems don't have reintroduction back into society. Mm -hmm. Um, They only uh, place I was able to take a fatherhood class was in a halfway house, not even while I was incarcerated. It was when I got to a Christ centered uh, halfway house. Um, And, and most of these locations, they don't have any movement. Um, or, or they have loose movement and it's just all criminal activity in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and men get stuck in the system and feel hopeless. And you, you just nailed it. Um, a lot of people stay in that victimhood mentality. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's everything that has happened to me. And, and it's hopelessness while incarcerated runs rampant. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of hope in these, in, in these jails, prisons, and, and men are dealing with enough and getting beat up enough in society, especially with what's happening in our society, in America right now, the way they, they, they tear down men. And, and so I've seen it. I've seen so many men broken while incarcerated. And, and with my children, I've seen how much pain it brought them. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a horrible thing that's happening. And the system looks down on, on fathers mm-hmm. incarcerated. Um, you know, I'm not saying that um, there should be no consequences to our actions, mm. but the programs aren't there. 
Hmm. Um, you could find small ones here, small ones there. Um, and there's such a lack of compassion mm-hmm. and, and lack of mercy in, in, in the system. Yeah, so, it, it kind of seems like the uh, roles and responsibilities are seldom the focus of these uh, institutional policies. Um, I know that some fathers that adapt, I mean, like you, and overcome and want to be a part of their child's life. I, I think it comes down to realizing their role. You know what I mean? You, you know, that was a catalyst for you. You know, you wanted to be the father that you didn't have, right? Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. With that being said, what has helped you to be engaged with your children after a total of, uh, I think you had five years of incarceration? Yeah, in and out. Yeah, in and out. Um, honestly, family. Mm. Uh, family that was there for me, my mother and the mother of my children, uh, Grandma Mona. Mm. Um, they helped me to remain engaged. But like you just said, um, my children always knew I loved them. They knew how much... I was hurting because I would, I would always weep to them. You know, I would, I'd go and get on the, uh, the phone and, and, and weep to them, hide my tears. That's another thing that's, that's, um, in the system as men, we don't like to show emotions. Mm -hmm. So even if it is about your children, you know, but when we go back to our cell and with our celly, there's tears that flow, but when you're out on deck using the phone and stuff like that, you just, there's, there's something that you fight it back. You know, you don't want to show that you're emotional and, and, and that's a problem too. You know, as men, we, we get emotional, especially when broken, especially Mm -hmm. when broken like that. So, so family, to answer your question, family helped me to remain engaged and my um, love for my children, unconditional love for my children. I I was going to continue to do and try to talk to them. and, And although my state, my mistakes, had consequences. Yeah. And it's interesting that you said that because, you know, even just, you know, as humans, we, we tend to have a pack mentality. Okay. So when you're around, you know, these high testosterone level men that are in there, even for say uh, tradesmen, you know, construction yeah. workers, linemen, whatever, you know, military, you're around these guys, you don't want to show a bit of weakness. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, that's right. you don't want to yeah. give that blood in the water. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Right, right. You know what I mean? Because sharks right. will start swimming, you know what I mean? That's and, right, right. And people will start joking and, and certain stuff like that, you know? Yeah, and that could be misconstrued and then it can turn into, you know, fight. obviously a fight because you can't back down, obviously. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. uh, what are some other challenges that you faced? This this was, engaged? you know, going over some, some of these things the past couple of days, this one this question broke me down because I thought back to it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it was no, what challenge I faced was learning who my children were individually mm-hmm. after over a decade of being in and out of their lives. So, so once I got out and uh, re- just was on fire for the Lord and allowed the Lord to start to transform me as a man, I started seeing that, I needed to really be engaged in individual time with my children. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't know who they were. I know they love sports like dad, but other than that, I didn't know much about my children, unfortunately. And I had to be honest with myself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and them knowing who I was mm-hmm. because I lied to them for many years. My, my mom would too, unfortunately, that, that it started off, Oh, he's working. But then when I'd come home from doing, you know, seven or eight month bid, um, it would be, 
I, I don't have nothing. I'm right back with boxers and shorts when I, when I get back home, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so those, the, the challenges I faced were the lies and, and knowing them, knowing who I was and me knowing who they were individually. What do you think caused you to want to be a better dad? Like what was your catalyst there? Uh, realizing that, realizing that last question, realizing that I was failing my seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, as you start reading the word of God, uh, procreation is one of the blessings that Christ has blessed us with. Yes. And um, procreation comes with responsibility and accountability as a father. Mm-hmm. And the realization that I was failing as a man and failing as a father, when that deep conviction of the Holy Spirit happens, that that that's what really pushed me off into saying that's enough okay i i have to make right choices and decisions at this time of my life hmm. and and, I, and i've wasted too much time and time is another gift from god yes so yes. I, I realized that i was wasting his time then the understanding and realization of his mercy just, just hmm. i mean it, it hit me hit me like a ton of bricks no, I bet. I bet. And it's interesting that you said about time, because that's one of the things I always talk about, you know, even for me, um, I had an opportunity to make a lot of money in my trade going all over yeah. building power lines. You know, I was thinking I was providing for my family and doing all this stuff. Right. But uh, in the end, I was losing time and you can't buy time. You know, um, Man. scripture tells us that the enemy has come to steal, kill and destroy. Why? full heartedly believe he's come to steal our time because he knows that's valuable. Oh, yeah. You for can't, sure. you can never buy time. Right. No, that's uh, yes, for sure, man. I'm in agreement. Hmm. How did being institutionalized affect your parental commitments and obligations? Um, I was, I was unable to fulfill their needs. Um, it's amazing. You just said that because you know, money, <laughs> money is nothing compared to losing time and years of absence. Even when I was around, I was absent minded because of the drug abuse. Mm. And, um, and, and men lose a lack of respect from their children. And, and that's something we don't touch on. You know, when I got home, my, uh, my son was 10 years old. Um, and I could see the lack of respect he had for me and the lack of trust because I, I came, when I came home the la- on the last uh, bit I did, I, I just said this. I said, I'm going to be honest with my oldest son. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. And I got honest with all three of them. I didn't, I didn't expect to get honest with all three of them, but I had to get honest and it set me free. The Bible doesn't lie when it says the truth sets us free. It's, it's true. And, yeah. and something happened, something happened in the spirit. When I was able to get honest with all my children, and say, this is what your dad's been dealing with. These are the mistakes. I'm sorry. And truly repent to them. And um, they didn't trust it at first. They had their doubts that I was going to stay around. But um, I've stayed around because uh, I've truly embraced um, being a disciple of Jesus mm-hmm. with all of my heart, pureheartedly seeking him. And he says that everything else will be added. So do you feel like, you know, I've heard, you know, I've talked to other fathers have been incarcerated and stuff like that. And they all say that being institutionalized, you know what I mean? They, they get, you know, obviously like even in being in the military, you know what I mean? You're used to getting food. You're yeah. used to having a oh, place yeah. to stay, you know what I mean? All these things. How did, how did that affect your 
commitment to them. You know what I mean? With all these things, I mean, you're going from an institution to where pretty much all your needs are taken care of. You just got to be able to survive in there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. now to being on the streets and now you're taking care of kids. So yeah. yeah. How did, how did that play into your fathering skills? Um, there was a lot of mistakes that were made, um, yeah. a lack of understanding, um, a lot of stress levelers that, uh, I had to um, overcome, you know, mm -hmm. instead of getting stressed out, it, it, it played into uh, fatherhood a lot with me because I, I didn't, I didn't have the patience mm -hmm. um, because you come of a, come from a place where, where the lack of patience is rampant to hopelessness and lack of patience, mm -hmm. um, you know, but uh, through, you do gain patience while incarcerated because you you're forced to, mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, I, I had to learn. But when it came to uh, fathering my children, um, the transition wasn't easy. It, it was it was difficult. Um, but I just praise God and thank God that He put people around me, like my mother and and like um, when I came home, I, I I reached out to brothers in Christ. Mm -hmm. I I left uh, letters in mailboxes to one of my brother. I said, Hey, I'm home. I need to talk to you. I I had to get around other fathers that have been through the same things as me and are successful as fathers now and reach out to pastors and, and, and people who didn't go through what I went through, but are amazing dads and amazing men of God. That's awesome that you're able to recognize that. Cause you know, a lot of times, you know, the successful people, they say, okay, if you hang around with five successful people, you're going to be the sixth successful person, right? That's yeah. a saying that everybody's yeah. talking about right now. Um, yeah. I, I truly believe that holds true. You know, obviously you're not going to take marriage advice from someone who's been divorced. <laughs> you know, you're, you're <laughs> right. not, you're not going to take advice from somebody who kids are estranged from them. And the guys, you know, living, you know, living yeah. all crazily, you know, Crazy, and not, yeah. not, not being an engaged father at, at all. You know right. I mean? Right. So yeah. that's, that, that's interesting that even though you didn't have a father that was really engaged with you, you saw it in other men and you saw it and you sought it out and you seeked it out to be yeah. able to be like, Hey man, I want to, I see what you have and I want to mimic yeah. that. I want, yeah, I want to learn sure. from you. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. And, and definitely it helped you understand your role as a father, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the men, um, he has passed away in the last uh, a couple months Pastor Jerry, he was like a shepherd to me uh, uh -huh. when I was in a halfway house um, one of the times. And uh, and I never forgot that man mm -hmm. because he he treated us all like a father. And, and it, it blew my mind because we were just a bunch of guys coming out of the joint or off the street. I was running on warrants when I went to that halfway house. It was called uh, the Restoration House on 15th and Taney in Gary, Indiana. And that man um, showed me what it was to truly show love, Christ-like love to men, his children, his family. I mean, he was the center of everything when it came to his family. And he had like 15 grandchildren, nine kids, and he still took care of these men too. Mm. Like a true shepherd, you know, a yeah. true pastor. Man, that's amazing. Um, how was your own personal experience? I mean, you touched base a little bit about your, your you know, your father and stuff like that, but how did that affect your parenting? Um, growing up the way I did yeah. with my father. Um, I, well, growing up in, in brokenness and, and anger, it caused me uh, not to value fatherhood the way I should have. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I spoke about um, how I realized that my children had lost respect for me and lost trust in me. Mm-hmm. So um, as children go through these things, um, personally, I, when I went through these things as a child being abused and, and seeing abuse on my mother and, and um, just chaos, it, it, it didn't, since I seen that and went through that, I didn't have an understanding on how to truly show um, love as a father should or value fatherhood. And if you don't value being a father, like I spoke about earlier, one of the catalysts was realizing God's gifts, his grace, his mercy, procreation, making me a father, the gift of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. If I don't look at fatherhood as a gift, right, from God, then I'm going to abuse it. I'm, I'm not because I don't understand how precious it is. Mm. So, so that's what it was. I didn't understand what it was to be a father because I didn't, uh, I didn't realize how precious being a father was, and how was it impact men and fathers have on our children, not our society, the generations to come, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so amazing what you're doing. Mm, thank you, brother. That's it's all the Lord, none of me, man. <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, brother. You're talking about, okay, so you, you know, your father obviously wasn't a great role model, you know? Right. Now, a couple of guests have come before on this show and they always talked about your father could only give you what he had, you know what I mean? So, so another way to put it is your father couldn't give you what he didn't have. Okay. Right. Right. Now, with that being said, what other role models did you have growing up? Did you have any, or is that why you turned to the gangs or? Well, yeah. So, so I, I, mostly athletes and, and like entertainers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But people around me, there, there was some, some older guys that I, I truly had. Um, coach Radke, um, I really looked up to him. He was my football coach. There was some guys that I, my uncle Jason, I looked up to. Then there was some brothers that I looked up to that uh, when, I, when I joined a gang at a young age, I looked mm-hmm. up to a couple brothers. Um, and but truthfully, I like once I realized the true intentions and, and self selfishness, um, I, I stopped looking at them as role models. And, and I think that's why, because if you don't have a wise counsel of good men, when you're a young man coming mm-hmm. up around you, you'll fall victim to um, having uh, role models that are no good. They're not role models at all. Mm-hmm. And you'll see the trueness uh, in their heart, you know, as as they start to speak and do certain things, have uh, certain actions around you. Um, and I truly believe as, as a disciple of Jesus and, and, a, and a fellow brother, I, I, I truly believe without Christ, you know, it's, it's hard to be a man because our, our identity is mm-hmm. in Jesus. So without Jesus, it's hard to be a, a true father, a true man. I really believe that. Yeah. And I agree with you a hundred percent. I mean, everybody thinks about Jesus, you know, and they see this picture of this man on, on who's, you know, beaten and bruised on this cross. Well, that's not the Jesus I serve. My Jesus has been resurrected. My, you know, the God I serve, you know, he was a a carpenter, you know, I don't know. I mean, he was a tradesman and it wasn't these power tools that you use today. No, his hands. Yeah. These dudes were burly men. 
You know yes. what I mean? And they were never weak, you know, especially no. back then you're, you know, you might be chiseling stuff, gaining stuff, you know, you're, you're having to use all these manual, you know, labor tools, tools exactly. Yeah. You know, there's no electricity <laughs> to them at all. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, it, Paul, all of these brothers, all, all mm-hmm. Peter, all of them, they, yeah. they were true men. And they, you know, I've been talking about, this is amazing because I've been talking about this with some brothers, you know, these brothers were bold too. They weren't afraid. They would confront sin. Mm-hmm. When you read Paul's letters, you see he confronted sin. He confronted them churches mm-hmm. and told them this is this is what it is. He did it with love. And same thing with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 came as the Lamb, but he's he he, he is the Lion of Judah. When mm-hmm. I read the Book of Revelation, I don't see a weak man. No, <laughs> I see, no. I see every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that he is King. That's that's the the, the yeah. God we serve. <laughs> absolutely and that and you know what to be honest with you that's the god that causes transformation that's a god that caused transformation in you god yes. that caused transformation in me because you yes. know honestly if i had somebody come up to me you know on a sunday knocking on the door you're gonna go to hell you're sinning all that stuff i, I mean i've had people do that before me too and, and i didn't want no part of it that's nothing i want i laughed yeah. you know what i told them i told them you know what i'm a godless heathen and, you know, we all yeah. come from the sea because back then yeah. I was, you know, I was in the military and I believed, you know, Darwinism and stuff like that, that we yeah. came from the sea. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it was a, a radical transformation. It wasn't until I hit rock bottom, rock to, bottom to actually see that, hey, man, I need help. I'm a, I'm a mess. And I always tell guys because they're like, oh, you know, even even in my line trade or whatever, you know, they're like, oh, man, you're a Bible thumper. They're like, dude not a Bible thumper by no means. I'm just mad enough to say, Hey dude, I need help. Otherwise <laughs> me and you would be fighting right now. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's yeah. the honest truth. You know? Yeah. A, a yeah lot of, me too. I mean, seriously. I mean, I've had a lot of guys be like, Oh man, Dave, don't drink. Dave, don't drink. And it's like, dude, do you want a black guy? Cause that's yeah. what's going to happen. I'm, you know, yeah. we're going to drink and it's not going to yeah. go go well. Yep. For, yep. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, for sure. We're, and that's, that's humility. Yeah. We had to be humbled. You know, exactly. I had, I was such a prideful man, but sitting down all these times and then getting addicted to drugs and, and, and it humbled me. Mm-hmm. Jesus met me in my storm after humbling me. I should be dead, but he had a purpose for, and and, and just like you, you know, we, we've spoke before and, and the, it's his mercy. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. His grace is sufficient. And, and you're right, the, the transformation that happens in men like us and so many more to come um, is, is from a all-loving, all-powerful God. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, absolutely. And <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, um, some of the impacts that children face, you know, from a, an incarcerated father, I just want to go over that a little bit. Uh, you know, it says that they have fewer financial resources for food, right, and other needs. Mm-hmm change in living circumstances, you know, going from one house to another, going with one parent to another parent or their grandparents or whatever, social pressure, stigma, you know what I mean? Time away and all these things, right? Yeah. What are, what are some of the effects that linger after being released? You know, like a prime example would be jobs, parole restrictions, travel restrictions, having an ankle bracelet like that. You know what I mean? How, how did that, how does that affect you? Um, well, I just got off paper time. We call it paper time, which is parole, probation, three months ago. So my whole adult life, I have not traveled 
the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to stay in the Chicagoland area. Um, jobs are hard to get in on a professional level, mm-hmm. sometimes construction, but construction is usually where uh, guys that are incarcerated uh, look for work because, you know, other men will give us a shot, you know, um, and, and that's what happened with me. And I, and I see it happen with a lot of people. The, the, the impact that it had on my children is a lot of, I realized as I grew in Christ, I was able to discern some things that my children were dealing with and able to uh, meet it face to face and abandonment and rejection is something that continued on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would, I would be able to see it in certain areas. Like when I would leave the house with my daughter, she would like think I was leaving forever again, mm. you know, because, because it, when you go from saying, okay, uh, I love you, give daddy a kiss. I'll be back to not coming back for a year. She, where's dad, you know? Yeah. And, and they were angry at me for that. And um, so yeah, abandonment and, and rejection hmm. are things that I had to confront. Um, hmm. And for me, shame and guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, knowing that you got to leave or you got to lie or whatever, you know what I mean? So obviously yeah. you're not going to feel great about that at all. Um, right. It's interesting that you talked about how your daughter had those reservations of, oh, is daddy going to come back? You know what I mean? Because I felt that. You know what I mean? Especially now with my middle son, you know, every time I leave, whether it be for an hour or whatever, he's constantly asking mama, where's dad? Where's dad? Is he coming back? Is he coming back? And that's just for me working out of state. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And yeah, it's crazy because they're always consistently thinking about, is daddy going to come back? Right. Daddy going to come back? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That, that's, that's, that's crazy that, wow, man, makes you the think parallels, the yeah. parallels, you know, absolutely. You know, do you think those undue restrictions that prevent parents from like attending graduations, you know, recitals, athletic events, uh, et cetera, do you think that ends up hurting the children far more than the adults? Um, yeah, I I'd say so. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say that it hurts the children more. Um, I'm not saying that there should be movement for all criminal cases, Mm -hmm. but when they start lumping all the men into one, and that's what happens. One guy will ruin everything for everybody. Yeah. You know, one stabbing will shut a prison down for a year or shut a deck or a division down and they'll shut phone calls off and, and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm not saying that that every, every man incarcerated should be able to go to a birthday party or, but I, I think that there should be um, something to where contact visits and uh, being able to go to birthday parties or, or especially for low level drug cases. If you look at statistically, there's so many low level drug cases. Yeah. And um, and there's no programs. So, yeah, I would have to say so. I'd have to say it really does. Uh, it hurts the child more than the adult. Yeah. And I mean, even just the level of, uh, the level of, I would say, you know, just the embarrassment, I guess the kids would feel, you know what I mean? Knowing that, Hey, 
my daddy yeah. can't be here. Or even if you can show up to like, say a birthday party or whatever, but you got to be escorted or oh, you, yeah. have, you have an ankle bracelet, you know what I mean? Or whatever. I mean, that kid's probably thinking, for sure. no, my, you're you right. Know, yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine the the shame. And that's sad because then the shame comes on them. You know, they, mm. they feel different than they, they feel different than their friends and different from the, the, the people around them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that shame carries on. That, that's the crazy part. You know, we don't realize, you know, that shame will carry on unless it's checked. Yeah, you know? for sure. My children uh, share one more thing. My, my, now that you brought that up, you know, I know my middle son dealt with this, uh, this, he didn't know how to answer why he lives with his grandma and he didn't want to go into why he lived with his grandma. Mm. Um, so there was shame there. He, he, and he, it took a while now. I mean, he, he talks about me all the time because of the transformation power of Jesus and, and me being accountable and uh, in their life. But uh, so, yeah, you're, you were right on, you were right on the money when you brought that up, the, hmm. the feeling apart from feeling set apart different than because dad's not home. And it, it brings that, like you said. Hey, Brandon, I wanted to ask you, do you think that these prison programs that they have, okay that are available to these fathers that are in their transitioning phase, you know, to, to come out. Do you think that they actually help fathers overcome the roots of their criminal lifestyles or anything? No, no. no. I, again, I don't, I don't want to say none of them do, but if you look at, and from my experience and statistically, you see men that are in the system go back. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a, that's, a, it's a horrible statistic. I don't know the exact uh, percentage, so I don't want to quote it, but I, I do know I've heard it before and looked it up and it's a horrible statistic. Um, and, and their requirements, it's very simple that, so they have like reentry programs, Mm -hmm. right? They have like a Kimbrough center. It's called here in Lake County and you go there and you're, you're still locked up, but you have movement where you could go to work and stuff like that. And basically all you have to do is stay off drugs. You're in a dorm with all these guys. Some are fighting cases, which is pre-trial, the other one is uh, the reentry program where they're trying to come home. They get 30 days here where they find a job. So what ends up happening is they just end up in this reentry program mm-hmm. and they, they go get a job, but nothing internally happens. They're, they're doing the same thing. They're not, they're not learning, um, you know, truth. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I'd say, no, they don't. So they're just basically going through the steps just to, to get out basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doing yeah what they, they need to do. We're doing what they have to do. And if you mm-hmm. don't do what you have to do, they send you back, which is if you fail a drop or you don't show up or you don't pay them their money. I, I I've been uh, incarcerated for that. A lot of times they'll have court fees that you got to pay when you get out and they'll put you in these reentry programs and you'll keep having to go to court. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it seems, and I know this isn't always the truth, but it seems that, the system is just about keeping the money. Like, so they start a program, right? Yeah. And yeah. let's call it uh, a random name. They force people to go to this program where they do this hour reading out of an NA book and you have to pay 300. This is a real program. I don't want to throw the name out there. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's a real program that I know about. And they, they, they have a teacher who's connected with the government building that reads an hour a day. It costs 350 bucks for, for a month, a month. 
and you go for an hour, you hear a reading out of an NA book, talk a little bit and leave. There's, mm-hmm. there's no truth being spoken. There's no true uh, confront confrontation of the, the problems that uh, men are plagued with and, and what they're dealing with when being incorporated back into society. Hmm. You know, man, it's, it, you know, I've heard it said before, you know, that you're just a number, right? When you're yeah. in prison, you're just a number. And man, you just <laughs> really solidified that by saying what you just said, because I mean, honestly, yeah. it's, it's all about numbers. It's all about money. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're, you're a number and you're, you're making, they're making money off you. I mean, 350 sure. bucks. I mean, that's, that's insane. You know what yeah. I mean? How about putting those prisoners to work, right? Yeah. Help them donate that money to their children. Why don't they set up a program like that where mm-hmm. the, these fathers are working, you know, making whatever, whatever it is like 25 cents, you know, for a license yeah. plate or whatever it is, you know what I mean? That they yeah. do, yeah. but how yeah. about taking that money and using it to be able to help their kids? Yes. You yes. know what I mean? Instead, yes. they're putting it back. I mean, 350 bucks, that's a lot of money for somebody who's making 25 cents or whatever you guys make in there for these yeah, prison yeah. programs. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It depends. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and then they also, like I said, the court fees, they'll slap on you. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had $1,200 for court fees before. And we, so when you get out, if you tack on um, uh, child support, if they're dealing with child support, court fees, classes, you know, they get out and you just feel defeated. Mm-hmm. That's what you feel because there's nothing. So you, sp- you spend years away and nothing's been, uh, been getting worked on, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I'm totally with you. I, uh, the Lord showed me some things that like with halfway houses um, and desires on my own heart of, of halfway houses doing something just exactly like that, like talking to different halfways about hopefully in the future, um, having some as well, but doing that. When a man comes there, he works and you put it towards his children. You put it towards something positive, even a bank account that when he graduates in a year, a Christ centered uh, uh, curriculum throughout mm-hmm. the year and going to work, he has this, this uh, lump sum of money mm-hmm. that, and some of it's been going to uh, his children the whole time. You know, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. with you on that. No, I agree with you hundred percent as well. Um, one of the things I just wanted to touch base on it, we talked about uh, some of the headaches that fathers have to go through as far as, you know, providing for their family and stuff like that. You know, I've, I, I've yeah. known several guys who are in the line trade now that were actually prisoners, you know, uh, yeah. one of them, a good friend, I got him a job. He's a, he's a foreman now in Texas, or he might, might as even, he might even be a, general foreman. I don't know. I haven't talked to him in a while, you know, but he's a brother in Christ and everything. And, uh, long story short, the guy spent 14 years in every major prison facility in Texas. I mean, from the Matanza to the glass house. I mean, this dude was in it, you know what I mean? These are some major, major prisons in Texas. And, uh, he got out, couldn't get a job, you know, um, got into the trades. That's the awesome thing about the trades. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. It you is. know what I mean? They could put <laughs> brothers to work. He was truck driving. He saw what I did. He's like, man, I want to do what you do. You know? So I got him into the trade and uh, he's, he's highly successful. I mean, the guy's making over six figures a year, you know, he's, he's doing really good. I mean, and here is a guy who was at the mo- in, at the time in the early eighties, he was the ATM bandit in Texas. He had, <laughs> 
he had created a way to rob ATMs, you know what I mean? In Texas, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, he obviously went to some hardcore federal penitentiary. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this guy was, you know, he he was used to all kinds of violence and stuff like that, you know, and he got an opportunity. But one of the things back to what I was saying is he always had a hard time. He was actually ashamed because he didn't like to tell his story that he was, incarcerated that he spent 14 years in prison that you know what I mean all these different things you know but the trade gave him a way to be able to provide for his family and not a lot of jobs do that I mean prime prime example I'm not a I never been to prison you know I did six months in Maricopa County tent city okay and Uh you know it was a drunken fight you know just before I was saved or anything I got in a fight with a cop Uh anyhow uh long story short I couldn't own a gun. I couldn't do a lot of things. You know what I mean? It's been expunged, but I had lost jobs. You know what I mean? Because they're like, Hey, we don't care if it's expunged. We, we, you know what I mean? This is something we can't have, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was losing yeah. jobs and, and it really breaks the heart of a man who's trying to provide for his family. You know, I, yeah, for sure. you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, man, all I want to do is work. I just want to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's yeah, one of the things sure. that led me to, to getting into the line trade that I do, you know what I mean? It's because I was tired of stepping up into these roles where I could possibly be fired because of a mistake I made when I was 22 years old, 23 years yeah. old. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah, for sure. Now I wanted to ask you, Brandon, what are some mistakes incarcerated fathers make that are hard to overcome? What are some mistakes some incarcerated fathers um, I'd have to say one of the mistakes I made mm-hmm. was going and believing that I was going to be able to conquer every, I've made this mistake multiple times, actually. Mm-hmm. You, while you're incarcerated, you come up with all these amazing plans, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? On our own way of thinking. Yeah. So when I get out, I'm going to conquer everything. I'm going to get out. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to buy this car. I'm going to buy this house. and it's going to happen in a month, <laughs> mm. you know, and uh, that doesn't happen that way. We, we have to, um, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, he talks, he says, so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring his own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. That's mm. Matthew six thirty four, and um, basically facing challenges in stages and taking the, the, even if we have to break it down to every 15 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do in these next 15 minutes to, to reach the goal that um, I have, that, that God has put on my heart? Um, and that's the way that I had to do things this time, because when you have these unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. and you don't meet those expectations that you have on yourself, there comes shame again. Yeah. You feel like you can't you can't do it. Oh, I can't do this no more. And then stress comes in and then you want to go get high or, you know, these things happen because you had unrealistic expectations about yourself and what you're going to do. Hmm. I heard it put another way too. Uh, there's a guy who, you know, he, he's pretty famous. You know, he has a tremendous amount of followers on Instagram and stuff like that. He does a uh, training, you know, he got out of California penal system and he always talks about small wins, stacking small wins. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. uh, it's true. You know, you get up that day, you know, uh, Admiral McRaven, you know, who's a Navy SEAL, 
talked about it, make your bed, right? He had a book put, you know, out there that was about making your bed. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's a small win. You know what I mean? You get up, you wash your face, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. a win right there. And all day long, you're stacking these little wins, you know, you're yeah. doing things, you know what I mean? And by the time this hard stuff comes, you have so much momentum of going, you're starting to build in, you know, one of the things I always say is how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> one bite at a time right that's right yeah, don't yeah. get overwhelmed you know what i mean just be consistent. one bite at a time exactly just be <laughs> consistent in what you're doing and that even goes with bothering you know what yeah. i mean um one of the guests i had on here says that don't let a moment at time be a you know what i mean be a catalyst for for you to be down on yourself you know what i mean right we're gonna yeah, have yeah. bad moments that's and, right. And a bad moment doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad life. Come on. You know what That's I mean? Right. So stop being so hard on yourselves, you know, especially with fathers, you know, if you accidentally, you're not feeling good, whatever. And then you, you shout out your kid. Okay. Come to that realization. It's about being self-aware. Yeah. Being aware. Don't yes, do it again. Sure. You know what That's I mean? Right. Go be a man and go tell your child. Hey man. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm, you know, let me, let me show you, you know what I mean? Yeah and, yeah. and when you do that and you're big enough to say, Hey, I'm sorry, you're showing your kids that it's okay to make mistakes. Right. That's Otherwise right. they're going to grow up these hypocritical kids where they're like, Oh, I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. And I've That's seen right. that. I've, yeah, me too. I, I, I've seen it. These kids, man, that are really just hypercritical and they don't want to make a mistake. You know what I mean? Cause their fathers are just constantly nitpicking them. You know what I mean? I used um, to do that. Yep. Yeah. You yeah. know what? I used to do that as a father with my 14 year old. I was constantly pick up this, pick up that, do this. You know, my, my wife called it lineman mode. You know what I mean? I'd come home and I was just adamant about everything. You know what I mean? No wasted moves and stuff like that. You know? (laughs) Right. Right. And he's like, dad, I'm 13 years old. Can I just, yeah. Well, it it was a girl. So it was even like my daughter. I mean, God bless her heart. I love her to death. I mean, she's such a solid little girl. I mean, can't call her a little girl. She's, you know, 14. Young woman. A young Young woman, woman. right? Going to be Proverbs 31 woman. But I mean, she has ups and everything. I mean, (laughs) she's tough. You know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm with you though. I I, I dealt with that too. I've had to uh, uh, come to my children multiple times and say, hey, forgive me for for, uh, being hard on you. Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, absolutely. Hey, Brandon, I wanted to ask you, brother. what advice would you give to young fathers who are trying to do the right thing and feel like society is pushing them back? Um, I, I, I tell them this, don't allow what other people say. Don't allow what society says. Um, have a long-term effect on your mm-hmm. mind. Break through what society says, what other men and women say, and find out what God says about you. And you will find out what Christ says about you if you get in his written word. Mm-hmm. Um, or get around a, a, a solid brother or a pastor with a shepherd's heart. Um, and he, he'll tell you who you're meant to be in Christ. That we all fall short. None of us are perfect. And that's why we need a savior. Mm-hmm. And his name is Jesus Christ. And, um, and society's going to continue to do this. They're not going to stop. They have an agenda. This, the, the agenda in the United States of America 
has come down on fathers in the past three decades in a, in a horrible, mighty way. And that's why you see the, see the statistics we see in fatherless homes, fathers incarcerated, like the statistic you told us earlier or shared with us earlier. So, yeah, I'd say don't listen to what society says. Find out who you are and who you are is in Christ. Mm. Yeah. And I always say, too, is when you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. You know, yeah. find, find your identity, find your purpose. You know what I mean? Yes. You know, yes. A, a lot of times as fathers, we try to identify with our jobs. That's right. You That's know right. Mean? I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. Well, I don't know how many guys I've talked to where they can't do their jobs anymore. You know what I mean? They're, mm-hmm. they're not able to perform because of an injury or circumstances or whatever. You know what I mean? So they lose that identity and then they yeah. lose their purpose and then they got to refine their purpose. And a lot of these successful fathers who I've dealt with and have talked to and have been in the pleasure of being in their presence uh, have found their purpose. And their purpose was being a father, going back to that role that was God given yeah, to them that's to be right. a husband, a father, a protector, a provider, being an engaged, committed, responsible dad. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Well, it's awesome to have you on here today, bro. Thank you for sharing with the people and stuff like that, Brandon. I, yeah. I want to ask you, can you share with the listeners where they can reach you at, brother? Yeah, um, they can reach me at uh, onfireministries333 at gmail.com. Um, also, uh, Brandon, Veronesi, Brandon S. Veronesi on Facebook. Um, New Creation has a, a Facebook as well. On Fire Ministries has a Facebook as well. And we're getting ready to launch a website for On Fire Ministries. Uh, you just have to go to the link, uh, not the Google search, but like up the, the link www.onfireministries333.com. And uh, you will be able to find us. And um, New Creation Vero3 at gmail.com as well. There's multiple places you can find me. Hmm. And one last question, Brandon, just real quick for the audience. What's a challenge you face on a daily basis? A challenge I face on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I would have to say that I deal with um, discipline, uh, a lack of discipline with my time. It goes back to that time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to really get things in order with the construction company, the emails, the ministry, family, children. And like you said, I don't want to, um, overdo one thing and miss time with my children. And sometimes I have to take this phone of mine and I have to turn this phone off and throw it on the table and not care who calls, who texts for a couple hours because my children need my undivided attention and it's time to be a father. And, and so that's what I deal with lack of discipline with time. Absolutely, man. You know, that's awesome that you talked about. It. I think a lot of fathers deal with that. I, I mean, myself, what I started doing is time blocking. I started yeah. just, just like a, a regular job. I go throughout my, my week, you know, my month, I have time blocks. I, put down when I'm going to work out, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. I'm kind of OCD that way. You know what I mean? When I'm going to work out the time I'm going to spend with my kids, you know, and then I even turn my phone off. You know, one of the guys I talked to, he was a, a mentor and a coach. He tells me, um, you got an airplane mode on your phone for a reason, put it on, yeah. you know, right. 
<laughs> yeah yeah <So>. for sure <laughs> you know what i mean so well right on brandon thanks for coming on the show up dad and uh yes. just being able to share with our audience all the pitfalls and everything you've seen and done and gone through to to be able to bring hope to fathers that have been incarcerated and stuff like yes. that you know what i mean see yes, how thank important you. they are no that's yeah. awesome bro thank you for having me brother absolutely well you have a blessed day brother all right you too brother thank you <laughs>